0: Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. Now, I know that some of you kids are getting really excited about this message. You think, I think I might listen to Pastor Matt this Sunday. And some of you parents are starting to really get worried about your pastor. Where is he going with this? Well, I can assure you that I'll get back to our text real quickly here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But The Three Little Pigs is a very popular story. In fact, for for our kids, it was their favorite. It is the book that my kids would always run to, jump in my lap, and want to open it up. And they would want to race through those pages until they got to the wolf. (laughs) Now, I don't want to do a spoiler alert here now on this story if you haven't heard it, but I'm sure everyone that's listening to me has probably heard the story of The Three Little Pigs. It's a fable. It was written some hundreds of years ago. We're not exactly sure when it first started, but it is a fable. It is a story with principles, and these principles are good principles. It talks about work and planning and and trials and testings and relationships, and it's used to teach these things to our children. And so we would call this wisdom wisdom. How do we communicate wisdom through stories and through illustrations and from sitting down with books and explaining them to our children? But it's different than the wisdom of God. And we have, in our study of 1 Corinthians, been studying this walk in wisdom and the difference between a godly wisdom and a wisdom of the age. Now, a story like The Three Little Pigs and many other stories like it can provide a lot of good. There is truth in it. It doesn't, when we say that this is the wisdom of the age, it doesn't mean that there is no truth in it. But remember this, that all truth is God's truth, and all wisdom is God's wisdom. And so people can take from Scripture and create another story, whether it's from this chapter here or Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount about the house on the sand and the house built on the, upon the rock, and write a fable, tell a story, But what these stories do not do, and what the wisdom of the age does not do, it does not deal with the problem of evil, sin and death, nor does it give meaning to life. And so that is really the big difference between the wisdom of the age and the wisdom of God. We are called to walk in wisdom. And when we come to this text here, to me it is gonna challenge us, not just about having eternal life, but it's gonna challenge us about how we live our lives. The title of this message is called Built to Last. Our text is 1 Corinthians chapter three and verses nine through 15. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace, that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work "'will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, "'because it will be revealed by fire. "'The fire will test the quality of each one's work. "'If anyone's work that he has built upon survives, "'he will receive a reward. "'If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss, "'but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire.'" As I shared, the title of this message is Built to Last, and there are seven verses that we're going to look at, and we're going to attempt to answer four questions that I think will come to our minds. First of all, what is this building that Paul is talking about? Second, who is doing the building? Third, how is it built? And finally, what will it matter? That's the so what question. So what is this building? We go back to verse 9, and we read these words, we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. He says you are God's building. He's using a metaphor. And the Apostle Paul uses these many times. He just talked about a field as a farmer is plowing a field. He uses that many times throughout all of Scripture. But here in particular, he's talking about the Christian life and how we live as compared to a building. And he says, you are God's building. The word building comes from two different words brought together, one means house, and the other one means to build up. And so it's not just uh, an object, but it is a process that goes along with this. You are God's building. Now in our English language, we usually say you, if I mean one person, and I say you if I mean many, unless you live in the south where you say y'all. In fact, this is what we probably would be helped by, having a southern translation here, because that's exactly what Paul is saying. He is saying, you all. You all are God's building. I think that it's difficult for us, because whenever I I take my Bible and I open it up and, and it's speaking to you, I'm thinking, he's talking directly to me. And in many ways, God is talking directly to you. But the context may not be you singular, but you plural. And there's a big difference in how we understand that. He is speaking to these people as they have relationship. We've talked about that a little bit, that there's one interpretation, there are many applications of this, But the interpretation is, to the people in Corinth, he's speaking to you all, in other words, a number of these believers, all of that church family, he is speaking to them as they relate together. As God is three persons, he is one. As a husband and wife are two persons, and they are one. Then also, a church that is filled with individual believers is one body. We need to understand that, that this is the context in which he speaks. He speaks to you and to me as a building and as we relate to one another. This is our identity. Our identity is is we're part of something bigger. We tend to think all about me. This is kind of our, our Western way of thinking, is that I see everything through the individual's eyes rather as uh, it being collective. Now, Eastern culture is different. They, They view that you as a collection, but this is our identity as we relate to one another in community. Secondly, it is our function. We function together. So when he says, you all are one body, you are one building, this is how you will relate in responsibility to one another. It is also our representation. In probably no greater way do we represent God and ourselves than through our marriages, our churches, and our communication of what God is like. And so we remember this. That this is how he is speaking to us. So this is the building. The building is you all. Secondly, who is doing this building? He's really talking about not just an object, but a process, as we, we shared about that word. The text we find in is in verse 10, the first part of verse 10. It says, According to God's grace that was given to me, this is Paul speaking, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. So who is doing this building? If you just step back and, and look at this section of scripture and ask yourself that God's talking about, about a building that's dynamic, it's not static, it, it's, there's a process going on, who is doing this? Well, God is at the source of all of this energy because he is the creator of all things. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. Jesus, his son, is also active in creation. We read that in the first three verses of the Gospel of John. And the Holy Spirit, mentioned also in Genesis, is active in this creation. So what's happening is that this building is really being energized and built by God himself. And in verse seven of chapter three, it says, this is from our previous message, it says, so then neither the one who plants, nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now that's back to the other metaphor of the farm. So what makes something grow? I don't, you don't, God does. We can water, we can plant, we can till the soil, but God causes the growth. So any lasting building, any building that will, will endure the time is built by God. Psalm 127 verse 1 says unless the Lord builds the house its builders labor over it in vain. So God is the primary builder of all things. But secondly, Paul calls himself a master builder. He says this in verse 10. And What he means by that is, in in the cooperation, we are working. We are co-workers uh, with God. He mentions this later on. We are we are co-workers with Him, and we are laboring together. The Apostle Paul is the master, is a master builder, because he's the one that initiated this particular building, this community of believers. He he came from Israel. And he landed eventually on his missionary journey in the city of Corinth and that, that isthmus there between the upper part of Greece and lower part that spans those two seas. And he is evangelizing, leading people to faith in Jesus and then doing initial discipleship or training and teaching of those people. So he himself is, is called a master builder. And then the third group that we we look at is each one of us, the community of believers. We all have a part. So when he describes this, uh, all of us participating, this is God's work. He is the master uh, creator of all the earth. Paul particularly is the master craftsman here of this particular church through God. Then every single part of this family of believers invest in building up this family and this is what is happening in corinth verse 10 continues it says another builds on it so paul is the master builder he says and another builds on it but each one is to be careful how he builds these are the believers in corinth and what's interesting is that every person has a part i remember back when i was in high school i was working at summit lake camp in Emmitsburg, maryland in fact, I'd go up there every summer and work for, I think, seven years. And one summer, my job was hauling rocks. <laughs> now, this was, uh, this was not really a fun job, but it, it, it got me into sh- shape for sports. So what was happening was we were building this uh, big tabernacle, and it was going to house all of the campers in the summer. It was a massive building. But on one end, it was going to have a stone fireplace, and the stone fireplace was probably 30 to 40 feet high, about 10 feet wide, and across was probably 20 feet. And it was built on these large field stones. Now, this is near Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. You'll find there all of these stone walls. They just go all over the countryside. In the early days, farmers would clear the fields of all the rocks, you know, what do you do with the rocks? Well, build a fence. And so we would dismantle these fences, uh, they weren't cemented together, and just take the big rocks, throw them on the wagon, and haul them down and um, and dump them off in a big pile. Then the, the mason would have other workers would take those stones and get them to them. Another guy was mixing cement, so there's like a, a, a chain of uh, action going, Going towards this uh, mason. And he would slowly take these and then cement them in and build this wall. It took an entire summer to do this. And I often thought <clears throat> if someone broke the chain, in other words, if, if someone didn't do their part, the whole thing stopped. You think it just, it, it's just not the mason, it's just not that skilled craftsman there that's placing the rock, it's even the boys that are hauling the rocks. Dumping them off, it's those that are mixing the cement and setting the right ones in place. And sometimes we think that, you know, my part in this building called the body, called the community, called the family of God, my part is not that important. And so I'm just not going to show up. Well, it does have an impact. You go back to this idea that in America we're very individualistic. We tend to think in terms of me and my and what I want and like. and um, Or if I'm not happy with this, I'll do something different. And what happens is it it really causes damage and loss to the entire family when we do that because God is designed for every person to have their part. You know what is also interesting about this church in Corinth? It was the only church in Corinth. And so if you didn't like it, you didn't go some other place. And, and today uh, if we don't like this, we don't like the music, don't like the preaching, don't like the children's program, don't like the whatever it is we say, well I'll find something I do like and, and we're just geared that way what what I finding what I like and yet here you had to work through it. And so Paul is using this picture that God is the creator. Paul the master builder, we each have a part of helping Get those stones and set those stones to build something that is beautiful before God. So that is what? It is a building. That is you all. And uh, the ones that are doing the work are all of us. Then, how is it built? And I think this comes to the really important question. How is this building built? In verse 10, and the second part of it, it says, but each one of... Each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than that which has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone lays on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. So that's a powerful section here. He says there is a foundation. You remember the parable that Jesus told about the two houses, one built on the sand and one built on the rock? Well, the one on the sand is really no foundation. But he says the foundation is the most important part of the building. The foundation is Jesus Christ. You think about this, that when, when Paul says this, he is saying that you can't, You can't have anything built on anything else. It just, nothing else will happen. So the way to look at this is that any any believer who's a true Christian has their life resting on the foundation of Jesus. You don't have some Christians on Jesus, some people on others. So this describes every Christian. The foundation is on Jesus for salvation, eternal life. But there is more than just that. It is how we live the life. How do we steward the life? How do we take care of our responsibilities while we're here on earth? This is what he'll be talking about. The materials that we build with are absolutely important. You back to the three little pigs. The materials made all of the difference. He says you have gold, silver, costly stones, which are, are durable and enduring things. And you have wood, hay, and stubble, which are very temporary things. So the meaning of this is that the one, gold, silver, and precious stones, there's great cost, there's great value. Uh, It takes time to be able to work these materials into a building and the amount of work is greater. That's why many people don't build with those. They'll build with wood and hay and stubble. Just like the easy way, The little pig with the house of straw, the little pig with the house of sticks, it's easier. Why bother with all of the extra work when at the end, it all looks pretty much the same and it's pretty functional? Well, you take shortcuts because it's faster, cheaper, and it looks probably just as good anyway, or it'll do. But this is not so much the building of the actual materials as the why. So, what is is he really saying here? What what is Paul saying about, be careful how you build, whether you're building with, with wood, hay, stubble, or you're building with gold and silver and precious stones? It's not so much what you're building, it's why you're building it and how you're building it. It is the motive. It is the heart. You see, the thing is, we work the same jobs as everybody else in the world. We live in the same neighborhoods. We do drive the same cars. We do the same things. So, what is the difference? It's not so much what, but why and how. What is the motivation? You know, I think back to uh, the song, and I and I, it's, I love the melody of it when Frank Sinatra sings, "I did it my way." But you know what? It's it's really whether it's playing a sport, doing your job, or your life, when you're saying, I did it my way, I'm gonna do it my way, you know, that sounds good, but when you do it your way with all of the earthly wisdom, that's wood, hay, and stubble. When you say, I'm gonna do it God's way, in other words, the reason I do this is for God. The reason I do it is for his glory and his honor and his pleasure. And the reason I do this is I want to follow and live in his kingdom, under his kingdom, under his rule, and under his reign, and not my own. And that's not an easy thing for us to say, for any of us to say. You've heard the expression, one short life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So, When I'm looking at whether I'm building, God's going to see us all busy doing things. And one guy could be doing the exact same job, work for the same company, drive the same car, play the same sports as someone else. And yet, God looks in the heart, why are you doing what you're doing? How are you doing this? He looks at the other person as well. They could be both Christians. They could both be saved. And yet, A person is a Christian, they love God, they say, they go to church, but you know what? They live their lives for themselves. And it's really that that temporal mindset, I did it my way. So, this is how we build. Let's look finally, to answer this last question, what does it matter? What does it matter? So we've looked at what is the building? The building is you all, who is building it? God is, Paul is, all of us are. And how is it being built? We've looked at that, whether it's with wood, hay, or stubble, or, or gold, silver, and precious stone. But what does it matter? What's, what difference does it make? What difference does it make? It is possible to be a Christian and completely waste your life. Let me say that again. It is possible to be a Christian and completely waste your life. In other words, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You know you're going to heaven. You've done that. But your whole life is lived for temporal things. Your whole motivation, your whole ambition is for yourself is for these things. It's not for God, and it's not eternally minded for his kingdom. And if you live that way, you will waste your life. And I don't think any of us want to do that. How do we build to last? And I'm not just talking so it lasts a little bit longer. (laughs) I'm talking about building so what you invest in, what you spend your time on lasts forever. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 13. And, and this is gonna really speak to the Corinthians because they, they have such an aspiration for rewards. They just, they like getting rewards. <laughs> um, they like achievement, applause, and so forth. So this will play into it. He says, each one's work will become obvious. How? Uh, for the day, which is the day that Christ returns, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has been built, built on survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience loss. But he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You notice how that spoke is that he'll still be saved but everything he's done will be burned up. So he speaks about this as being at when Jesus comes back, which he is, he could come today, he could come any time, and he will announce his kingdom, and he will come and reign physically just as he has always spiritually. He will rule over all the earth, and then every Christian will give an account Not for our sins, not for our sins because that was paid for on the cross, but we will give an account for our stewardship, how we built, what we built, why we built. Do you know this, that God did give you something to build while you're here? He did give you a responsibility as a Christian. You have something to do and you will be judged on how you did this. We find that the text that supports this in in 2 Corinthians, uh, another letter that Paul wrote uh, to the same people in chapter 5 and verse 10. Listen carefully. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now for the Greeks... Um, what these people are in Corinth, um, fire was the really ultimate test of quality. And so fire would be used to reveal something. Fire would be used to refine something. But if if a building was well built, the ultimate test was fire. And so we think of fire as judgment. But it's not just judgment. It also has a great purifying effect to make something even more brilliant, like gold or silver and precious stones. But this is interesting, because when we think about judgment, and I I want you to understand this concept, is that we're we're not, as I said, going to be judged for our sins. If you're a believer, your sins were judged completely on the cross. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for eternal life, Jesus took upon himself the wrath of God that paid for all of your sins. His blood washed them all away, you're done. For those people that have never accepted Christ and refuse to accept Christ, after his continual pleading with them, will endure judgment in hell, which is also fire, and that's spoken about in Revelation chapter 20. This is different than that. It's different than a Christian's salvation it's different than what we talk about with the, the eternal uh, great white throne judgment of Revelation 20. This is a judgment, a, a time of reward for us and a time where the fire will reveal, obviously, what we've done. So this is, this is the passage that talks about this. Now, when it says the judgment seat of Christ, it's actually in the Greek bema. It's called the bema seat. And if you go to this little isthmus, that connects these two pieces of land, you're going to see a, this big stone structure that is called the Bema Seat. And this is the place where they would do law and they would make judgments and they would pass judgments. It was also the very same place that where they would reward their athletes for winning races. And so this is a time for the Christian that has, has fulfilled responsibility. In other words, I take my responsibility and I fulfill it. In other words, I I live my life for God. It's not perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. I seek to do this for Him, and how I build is for Him, and I don't live my life for myself. It says, I will receive a great reward, a great reward. (laughs) Now, it's probably beyond what you could ask or think, like everything else, but if I haven't, if I have indeed wasted my life, if I've gotten saved and got my, my ticket out of hell, so to speak, or my ticket to heaven, and, and but yet I, I go on and I waste my life serving myself, serving this world, gaining stuff, accumulating things, all of that will go up in smoke. That's why it says you'll suffer loss. You're going to lose everything. You're not taking any of it with you. And none of it will be in eternity. Whereas the person that has lived with a motive to please God and serve God, he builds that way, will receive many rewards that will be eternal. So why is all of this so important? It's because this is how we live. This is how we live. It's not The Christian life is not just about you accepting Christ as Savior to have eternal life. God's will is that you have an abundant life, a full life, a meaningful life. And that life will be following him and making him your supreme object and desire. So my prayer is that for all of us that we would see that. As I said, it is possible to be a Christian and yet completely waste your life. When I was about 13 years of age, my dad had just moved back to the Washington, D.C. area and I was walking back from school one day, and <clears throat> I saw some guys flying an airplane, and this was uh, a motorized model that had strings on it. Uh, now they have radio-controlled ones, but this had two long strings and a handle, and you'd fly it around in circles, and these guys were doing loops and and uh, going up and down and flying and saying, I want to do that. I just I just really wanted to do that. So that weekend, <clears throat> I went to the hobby store, and I looked through all of the airplanes for sale and all the motors and so they weren't real expensive but I got the the nicest airplane the fastest one the most sleek looking one I could find and I got a motor that was kind of really fast and I went home and for three months I worked for hours every day on building that plane it was out of balsa wood I would have it had fabric wings I put a red paint job I put decals all over it and so this, is, this was three months, I don't know how many total hours, but it was hours every day just pouring over this airplane. Now, you have in mind, too, that I've never flown one. I've just watched it, and I've imagined myself doing everything I saw them do. And so my dad went out with me to the junior high, went out to a big field, and um, we started up the motor, and it was wound pretty tight, and I didn't know you adjust it faster or slower, but it was going really fast. And so I, I'm a little bit tempted. I walk way back, and I, I hold that uh, control handle, and I'm, I'm trying to figure this out with the strings and, and with the, getting the ailerons to move and how I'm going to fly this thing. And eventually I say to my dad, let go. And that plane goes up, 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 and then I think it's going up too high. I need to bring it down. I brought it down, 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 and then It crashed into a 1,000 red pieces right before my eyes. And I'm just sitting there stunned, stunned. I mean, all those hours, all that time, and it looked so good. It was completely destroyed. Now, I still remember that today, and it's a little thing, just a little piece of balsa wood and paint and a little motor on it. I'm thankful that's not my life. But you see, you have a treasure. God has given you a life. And it is part of a community. And this community is to be built up with the stones fitting together. Jesus being the the foundation and the chief cornerstone. And all of this is fitting together to build up something beautiful before God. And my prayer is this, that you'll recognize that, that God has so much more for you than just your eternal security. So when I think back to this, the great significance of moral lessons, <laughs> there are a lot of moral lessons that you get through fables. But these lessons are life lessons and this is God's wisdom speaking to us. The one thing all those fables won't be able to do is to really give the, answer the key questions. The key questions like, what about the problem of evil? How do we resolve sin? How do we resolve death? What is the meaning of life? And Jesus Christ answers each of those very, very clearly. So, my prayer is this that when we look at our lives, recognize this one, you have an eternal soul. This needs redeeming. You must be saved, you must be born again. But you also have a temporal life. You have this life. You have one life. And it also needs redeeming. So how are you going to live? And why are you going to live? My prayer is this, that we would live for Jesus, for his pleasure and for his glory. And in so doing, we have a building together that is beautiful before God and this world. Let's bow together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for these pictures that you give us. Pictures of how you work in us to realize that it's not just me singular, but it it is us, plural. That I'm part of something bigger than myself. I'm part of your family, part of your community, I'm part of your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that For each of us, we would not only find the security and joy of eternal life, but also living this life in abundance. We pray in Jesus' name.